Hi, everybody. Thanks for being here. I'm Joe with Tabletop Theory, and today is the first episode of sort of an as yet unnamed podcast sort of format thing that I wanted to start doing with uh, people that are doing things with tabletop role playing games and other types of games and sort of interlacing them with therapeutics, with mental health work and social work and all other kinds of really beneficial things because like I've talked about in the past, there's all kinds of really interesting ways to bring these types of ideas together. So today I wanted to sit down with Peter Young, who's Roll for Kindness on Twitter and have a conversation about the type of work that he's doing. Thanks for being here today, Peter. I appreciate it. Thank you. And, um, so we were talking before the show that um, one of the things that we've sort of been learning about is this idea that there's just so many people who are working on this whole intersection of mental health work and um, role-playing games. So where did you sort of start to see the comparative sort of like combinations that can go from like mental health work and like um, role-playing games? When did you start to really make those connections? So there's actually two kind of formative experiences. Um, the first was my own, you know, in high school, I had a pretty awful high school experience and playing D&D with my friends, uh, who are still my friends, uh, gave me, you know, a sense of connection, a sense of, you know, something to look forward to. And it really, you know, just having that, you know, okay, life sucks but once a week i'm gonna be able to stay up with my friends yeah. till 3 a.m killing <laughs> skeletons and orcs that was a reason just to to get get through it and so i've always kind of felt that there's some in intrinsic um purpose that dnd can can give you um whether that is just a distraction or a way for you to project your feelings um, the, the, it's just a very versatile tool that I started kind of playing around with and experiencing at a uh, pretty early age. And then um, kind of before I jumped into the whole uh, kind of professional social skills uh, DM stuff, I was running, I was working as a foster care worker and I was running these kind of pickup games at my friendly local gaming store. And the owner found out that I had a <clears throat> had a career in foster care at the time and he started telling all his foster care parent friends so suddenly like there'd be an adult and two kids coming to the game and another adult and two kids coming to the game. so it'd be like six seven players um with a bunch of kids and a handful of adults and i didn't think too much of it and then afterwards the parents would start coming to me and would just say hey you know this this kid barely engages with us he barely talks he's he's been bouncing around homes a lot it's been really rough and the way i saw him light up i've never seen that yeah you know this is amazing when can you do it again and <clears throat> so that was kind of the, the moment where it's like okay there's definitely something to this and i think that was in 2008 2009 when i was doing that um and then I got hired on with Aspiring Youth, and I've been uh, with them ever since for about okay. seven and years. You mentioned sort of like the whole social skills DM thing, and that, yeah. that's, that's on your Twitter bio. So like, what is a social skills DM? So the way I do it is kids come in and, from Aspiring Youth, and they're not therapy groups, mm -hmm. they're social skills groups. So... I do not go in there with a sort of therapeutic approach. I go in with a more skills-oriented approach. So okay. we're going to be using the game to practice things like, you know, conversation, taking turns, uh, you know, perspective taking, just just various based on what the kids' uh, emergent or predefined needs are. Um, we kind of incorporate that into the game. So say. There is a youth that has a hard time just talking. You know, it's just very quiet, um, very afraid to speak up. I might have a sequence where his character gets separated from the rest of the party, mm -hmm. and they have to ask for directions to get back. Um, oh, that's clever. Yeah, or a um, a kid that <clears throat> maybe 
struggles with some self-esteem, I might challenge to say, you're, let's, let's try playing a, a, an orcish, like a half-orc barbarian, a very high charisma, very proud and strong. And let's, let's yeah, see if you can practice role play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just various things like that. And then there's a lot of um, things that occur more passively, I've been noticing, with the kids supporting each other. And so I think a lot of it comes down to having a really intentionally designed space where kids feel comfortable to help each other learn social skills. Okay. So it's not so much that I'm teaching them, I'm just creating a setting where those social skills can be practiced. Got it. So And there's incentive. Yeah. Um, what do you mean by incentive? I'm, I'm curious about that. A lot of the kids I see have been to a lot of pre-existing social skills groups or whatever. I and see. I see. They can't stand them. Whereas this one, like, okay, well, if you can talk your way out of this scenario, um, you know, the guards won't take you to prison. Right. That's some incentive to really try right. to get these guards to... To let, let the fact that the the rogue has been pickpocketing everyone in the village, right? Um, which happened last night. Um, <laughs> it's gonna be fun to yeah, and a bunch of wild magic surges. So so the kids are gonna oh, be experiencing. <laughs> there's gonna be a <laughs> lot. Yeah, the the kids are actually in a quite a bit of trouble, and I'm excited about them having a lot of opportunities to talk their way out of it because one of the people they ticked off was an arch wizard. Ah, powerful enemy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm curious, you're, you're talking about the idea of like um, giving your players sort of a chance to sort of move outside the comfort zone. And um, you mentioned like you have a player who might be dealing with a little bit of self-confidence. So putting them into something like a half work barbarian is gonna sort yeah. of push them a little bit. Um, I found something similar in the groups that I've run, but I'm curious, how do you sort of balance that level of challenge and support between like knowing how you feel like your uh, players could be dealing with sort of like something like you're saying they're there to do social skills work right it's like a skills-based approach but um how do you as a as a dm sort of give your players the chance to sort of move in a direction that you feel like might be beneficial for them from like a social skills perspective but not maybe go that to go that extra level that might be too far to push them to a place where they might start to feel uncomfortable. How do you gauge that? Kind of, you, you just assess it in the moment. Yeah. You know, there have been situations where you could tell that they're really struggling mm. and then you just wind it back. Um, or what I really like to do is see if other youth can kind of step in and help because, you know, you, you, you want to push them. Mm -hmm. And if they can't do that, do it alone, you kind of have to create a space where another youth can, at their level, bring them up. Yeah. Because that teaches them kind of two lessons. First off, they're learning that social skill from someone else who probably has been in a similar, a similar place. Mm -hmm. But they also kind of get a very valuable lesson in that, you know, they're not alone in this. And then it gives the other player the opportunity to help learn how to provide that sort of supportive language and oh, yeah. coaching and help. That's that's a really cool I've been, method. I, so much of that lately, lately. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, the the kids are so good to each other. Um, yeah, I, I I know you're gonna ask a question about how the pandemic has changed. So I'll, I'll, no, I'll... we could talk about it. I mean, okay, the... yeah. Let's just so. So uh, the, the, the question is basically like, you've been running these games since before COVID-19 sort of changed how everybody yeah. did things, right? So mm -hmm. when it happened, when um, COVID sort of forced everybody to move their in-person stuff online, what did you do? Like, how did it change for you? So we were doing in-person groups and this was last March uh, or February. And we were just kind of talking about COVID. And I said, look, we're gonna have to move this thing online. How are we gonna do it? And the kids were all like Discord. So I created a, a Discord server and that's created a space for the kids to interact uh, offline. So they're talking constantly. Just it, it's created the space where they can just really dive into it. I created an in-character channel 
where they can role play together and sometimes i'll pop in as an npc and just love that drive the conversation but what i've been seeing is you know aside from uh this this group of kids i refer to as the mad scientists writing pages and pages of equations that prove that you know according to this spell which releases this many kilocalories of energy combined with this level three spell we could destroy a planet with two level three spells yeah you were saying um, before we started recording you had a, a player create like a whole text of calculations for how many spells could stop the core of the earth from spinning or something like that yeah that's amazing <laughs> this is this is I mean, it's it, it, it's either hard calculus or and and wow this come for like 15 year olds who are just really really bright yeah um or puns because <laughs> i hate puns and they know i hate puns so what what are some of the best ones i've come up with i have just to put you really, on the spot <laughs> no I, I i i have actually scrubbed them from my brain oh man <laughs> uh, i i the, the, i actually reinforce it though okay uh there there's a system where i have angry cat emojis and they're playing a game of blackjack so the most angry cat is a five and the just the annoyed cat is a one and so they make puns and i you know they're trying for 21 and if uh, they get 21 uh they get a a reward in game nice <laughs> so they they are incentivized to torture me <laughs> and it's 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 become this wonderful shared goal where they, <laughs> there's this amazing relationship that I've been able to build with the kids where they were very mutually antagonistic, but in a very excited to see how much we can screw with each other's plans or screw with each other's characters. And that's created a, a very cool space. But in the meantime, uh, the, the other thing that I've been seeing is as the kids interact when we're not doing groups they're really helping each other with the rules helping each other um with all kinds of stuff you know homework or you know hey does anyone want this this random thing or can i drop this off i need to get rid of this um, so it's sort of it, building community yeah 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 and you know i i recently saw the kids talking about um bad experiences with teachers hmm. and kind of really borderline abusive things that teachers had done wow and the kids just all coming together and supporting each other and saying okay this is what i did this is how i got my parents involved and put it into it that's really powerful. um jeez and that was really instrumental because then i kind of stopped thinking about this group as something that is solely about social skills but keeping the idea that you know as someone who is autistic self-advocacy is a key social skill right taking away from the idea that we should just be teaching neurotypical social skills mm -hmm. but creating a space where autistic uh skills and self-advocacy can be explored um and, you know, these are just things that happen kind of organically of the kids supporting each other and being very kind to each other and, you know, sharing in their frustrations, mm -hmm. but also giving each other advice, um, saying things like, oh, yeah, I do that, too. And here's how here's what works for me. And um, it's it's. It's been magical to see. I think the switch to Discord, where the kids can really organically <clears throat> build kind of unstructured friendships that where they're not constantly trying to mask and are comfortable with each other and can be themselves and show affection for each other by writing three pages of equations. <laughs> uh, that's That's something magical. So I've been able to witness this. And it is just filled me with such joy. That's really cool. Um, so sort of asking a different question about the groups, are you playing primarily like Dungeons and Dragons or are there the systems that you've created? What I'm playing is Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Um, 
aside from the kids that their entire purpose is to create wild magic surges, there are very... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have a player... <laughs> I have a player in one of my campaigns right now that um, he's uh, he, he's gone through a couple of different um, wild magic surges and what ended up happening at one point within like the period of one session, his character became 11 years old, lost all of their hair, and then uh, was immediately transported to a different plane, which I then described the Zoom meeting that we were all playing in from the character's point of view and then blipped him back to his body. Magic surges can create some really fun <laughs> accidents in game. This is a homebrew math magic surge system, so okay. it's even more esoteric. Love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I love it. Yeah, so very little rules mm -hmm. uh, stuff, unless the kids are engaging on that front. A lot of it's just, you know, improvisational role-playing. Sure. Um, as for the games that I've created, a lot of them have been inspired by what I've done with this group and what's been successful with this group. So... Um, the system I made for the Caravan Endures mm -hmm. was actually a system that I used for one of my most challenging quarters, where I think there were like 11 kids in the group. So it was a wow. really big group. And so I had, I, I was reading like first edition rules and saw that, okay, after a while you inherit a castle or you, you know, right. you get a castle or whatever. So I had oh, them inherit a castle. thing. Yeah. And uh, they would have to choose what sort of things they spend each day doing. Mm -hmm. And then, and, you know, kind of work together to be like, okay, so we, you, you and I should go patrol the forest. Uh, we sh and so that created opportunities for smaller scale role-playing rather than it being this kind of free-for-all where voices are going to get drowned out. Right. And then in the evening, they, after they had gone and uh, done things, they would have a meeting and some news would happen. So there was an assassin in the castle. And one by one, uh, it was targeting the NPCs that they had hired to run the castle, which hiring NPCs is another really good collaborative uh, exercise. Um, but the uh, if, if they made a bunch of really good decisions, mm -hmm. uh, one of the NPCs might discover a trap. But if they had been kind of goofing off, I'd say like, yeah, so-and-so uh, walks in and they're holding, you know, the this person and they're they're bleeding out. And and the kids are just like, oh, no, we, we really got to work on this. Um, so the quality of the NPCs is sort of based on how um, how well the players sort of rolled or paid attention or role-played through the situations? Am I um, understanding? It's the, the, the safety of the NPCs and the safety of the castle. Okay, I see. So if the kids got news that, hey, the assassin's starting to put little poison needle traps all over the castle. If they decide, hey, let's go, you know, get drunk and party or something. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, okay, so that night, uh, two of the NPCs, you know, poke their fingers and die. Um, whereas if they work together and were like, okay, so we want us to reinforce guard duty. I want these people to be using, you know, detect whatever. And so they were able to actually shut it down. Um, you know, they they were going up against this assassin, and it, it was this really weird character that was obsessed with traps and kind of uh, real weird ways to target people. Mm. But uh, they they did a lot of really good teamwork, and when it was the final fight, uh, they literally one shotted the assassin. Nice. <laughs> and I, I, I remember I was just like, man, this is big. This this is you know climax of the, this whole thing. The assassin shows their face, and then they critted and one shot it. I'm just like, <laughs> that's that's I that like as a game master, I simultaneously feel like happy for my players and super frustrated whenever that happens because you put <laughs> so much effort into creating like this perfect villain, and then they're just like, boop, dead, boop, done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, and and. But, but, but the cool thing was it was teamwork at its finest. Yeah. So, you know, hold person, do this, buff, yep. you know, attack, yeah. and it's at advantage and there's extra, it's, it was beautiful. Um, That's awesome. It's always good to see that. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, it's a little sad when I, I have this whole monologue planned and oh, it's just no. like, nope, nope. They're just like, you've been messing with our castle. Just <laughs> die. Time to go. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, only yeah. one NPC died and then my co-facilitator uh, brought him back. Um, okay. Because he, he was a NPC who was a chaos warlock. So he's constantly shifting around and changing his appearance. So he went from being dead to almost dead. And um, my co-facilitator is actually a former student of mine who graduated. And then I hired her on to help me run the groups. And so it's almost kind of like a, a peer therapist model. Oh, okay, um, sure. Where she's been in these groups and she knows what it's like to be on the other side. And, um, you know, she does a lot of observation and she picks up on things and talks with the kids and kind of just acts as my backup. And it's created a very cool space where she can point out things that uh, I may not be picking up on. Mm -hmm. And I really think there there's some, some value. And I, I my day job, I work uh, for a wraparound agency, and we use a lot of uh, peer counselors. Mm -hmm. And I find that the peer model is one of the most important models in mental health right now, yeah. uh, because it lowers barriers, it has that lived experience, and it helps people feel really comfortable with it. And I think she does a very good job on that front. So, um, so your co-facilitator, um if you're basically in the middle of a session, um, are they sort of like role-playing along with you, almost like a, like a collaborating game master? Or is this sort of like the discussions that you're talking about, things that you might have missed? Are those things uh, being brought up after the session? Or it almost kind of sounds like you run your sessions, I don't want to say non-linearly, but that's, that's not the right word, but like you're, you're sort of allowing the sessions, at least on Discord, to happen over a longer period of time. There, so we have our kind of in-person session, which is through a Discord chat, and then okay. we have kind of stuff happening throughout the week. And my co-facilitator will just DM me if okay. I'm missing something. And you. that's, so when we're doing it in person, uh, we actually have an XP um, whiteboard where, you know, raising your hand, uh, you know, supporting each other, that will net you positive XP. Okay. Whereas, you know, speaking over someone or saying something inappropriate, that will net you negative XP. Um, and, you know, the kids, when they want a power level, they just game that <laughs> so much. But, you know, that, that's fine. That's awesome. Um, but, you know, it, it helps the kids um, learn to just be aware of when other people are speaking and to be respectful of that and sensitive around that. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a nice visual indicator there. So usually... If she's DMing, I'm on the whiteboard. If I'm okay. DMing, she's on the whiteboard. So um, those sort of things, that almost sounds like sort of a version of like creating group norms or like almost an informed consent documentation. Um, I, I know that when I was doing um, group counseling intern work um, at a drug rehab center, um, one of the things that uh, happened with group therapy was the idea that the group norms in sort of every every so often because it was sort of a rotating client basis had to be refreshed and it was sort of done with the group is sort of like a collaboration of like these are the group norms that we've established to be acceptable and what is and is not okay is that kind of how that worked out or did you sort of create that for them I'm, I'm curious about that um the the whiteboard idea was um rafael bocamasso's idea um okay he was my uh he was my initial co-facilitator he was the initial facilitator. He brought me in as a co-facilitator, then he moved on, and then I'm the primary facilitator. Um, so that that was kind of his idea. Um, we do have group rules. Um, and a lot of them are just kind of, you know, no inappropriate language at the table. Sure, sure. Um, you know, everyone supporting each other, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and... You know, we, we've had to implement specific things just to make things work. So we have a hand system where kids will put a hand emoji in the chat if okay. if it's a busy scene. And I'll just say, okay, way too many people talking right now. Everyone use hands. And so people will okay. type hand in the, or do a hand emoji. 
in the chat and I'm like, okay, you go first. Okay, you go first. So that kind of creates a space to uh, keep people from really, uh, you know, all talking at once and it turning into an issue. Um, but I know one of the challenges with Discord is sometimes uh, someone will say something and you, you, you can't see them because mm -hmm. I have like 10 people in my group. So I, I don't have the, the, yeah. Um, so I don't have the cameras on. And so I won't know if they're just kind of pausing to say the rest of their thing. So, and so sometimes uh, there's a few of them that will occasionally need a little while to formulate something. Sure. So they'll say, okay, I stepped down from the ladder. Okay. So you stepped down. I, I wasn't done. I was just like, oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Pl please go. Yeah. Um, um, so that's. So with those groups have, have they been consistently sort of text-based, like almost play by post on discord or did they ever meet in person prior to sort of the lockdown? Oh yeah. This is a long running group. Okay. I've been running the same group for like seven years. Wow. Same world. That's awesome. Uh, our retention rate is, ugh. um, <laughs> it's I'm, can, can, retention can, good or retention bad. Retention, awesome. Yeah. I'm, kids will not leave this group. I'm, and, 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 and like, here's a kid that was in my group when we started, and she's my co-facilitator now. Yeah. She's so still with us. They're sticking around. They're sticking around. There's, there's, there's this huge wait list. It's, it's, um, it's a good thing mm. because I've been able to see a real impressive uh kind of uh that yeah, can't speak longitudinal um view of how these kids have grown over time sure um now i've run a lot of kind of short you know qu one quarter long uh D, D social skills groups mm -hmm. uh on the side that give me a lot of experience in various different modalities so mm -hmm. i've run um one that was more of like a family therapy group. I ran a girls group. Um, I just finished an educational marine science RPG Whoa, uh, group. Cool. Yeah. Um, that was actually a collaboration with another company that's designing um, something with uh, someone from the Seattle Aquarium. Um, so it's like marine biology based. Yep. Yep. That's cool. And uh, yeah, so I was kind of the the one of the facilitators, and the other guy DM'd it, and uh, it was a lot of fun and an effective tool to motivate kids for learning. So mm. that was cool to see. So um, one of the things that uh, you sort of mentioned the caravan endures, but you have another product called um, I don't know if it's a product. A project is probably the better word for it. Um, called Speaking with Monsters. Um, it sounds fascinating, and I'm wondering if you could kind of describe it. So I like bugs. I really like bugs. I really like animals. I have two cats and I work with a lot of people who are very different with me uh, or different than me. Um, you know, I, I recently got into this job doing crisis work and kind mm. of intensive in-person family therapy um, where, you know, I will go into people's homes and, oh, wow. And um, just this past year, I have been out of my my comfort zone a lot and also just spending a, a lot more time in nature and honestly this comes largely from the amount of time i've been spending in nature because there's nowhere to go so i've been going hiking all the time yeah um and just observing animals and realizing that you know even bugs have their own emotional states that you can detect you can tell when an insect is afraid you can tell when they are seem content. You can tell when they're exhausted. And I started kind of thinking about how in a lot of media, there's this push to humanize the monsters hmm. to make them lovable. And I hate that. Okay. And, uh, you know, you, you, you see it, you know, 
there's there's the monsters that are okay to kill and they look like giant spiders but if you give them big googly disney eyes suddenly they're human eyes they can speak they have a full human range right. of emotions and they love it's you. just a different method of presentation sort of denotes whether or not it's morally acceptable to commit violence against them yeah yeah and 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 and, and kind of my, my, my thought is yeah it's still I mean, even though this one has little beady spider eyes it's still not okay to kill it right Unless it's Shelob and Shelob must die, but if it's not Shelob, it's I probably mispronouncing that. that we'll call it good. It's the whole smog smog debacle that yeah yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, if it's a giant spider, it might just be chilling. Mm -hmm. And I recently um, watched the original series episode uh, "Devil in the Dark," a Star Trek episode, where there's this kind of slime monster that is going around and killing these miners. And it turns out the miners have been accidentally destroying its eggs. And there's a scene where Spock uh, mind melts with the creature and finds out that it's intelligent, it's sapient, it's going after the miners because they were threatening it. And at the end of the episode, the slime monster is actually helping with the mining operation. Huh. And that was awesome because at no point is the monster humanized. Uh, you know, Spock kind of reads its emotions, but that's about it. Um, and I think that there is a need to practice radical empathy that a lot of people don't think about. I there is, it, it's very easy to be empathic towards stuff that is familiar to you. Mm -hmm but challenging yourself to be empathic towards something that is different, like fundamentally different is good practice for thinking about and preparing yourself to not have a knee jerk reaction when people might be from a different, whatever they need. Right. Um, Cause I think a lot of the times we as human beings, uh, you know, self-associate into our clans mm -hmm. and us versus the other and i think you know the role of a role-playing game when done well is to create a space for practicing skills in a very abstract and overblown way but eventually you'll get some trickle down sure uh you know you you may be a very shy person who plays this barbarian, you know, badass or who's super loud and screams all the time. Does that mean that you're going to be this screaming, you know, 13 year old? No, but it may help you to feel a little bit more confident, you know, have that practice and speaking more loudly mm -hmm. and being supported in that. And kind of my my drive with speaking with monsters was to love things that are well uh, again I, I i'm a huge bug fan yeah. i do insect photography okay. um and you know I, I kept honeybees for a while and the the level of once you get outside of your your, your human brain and things that can seem like human emotions and you start keying into the emotions of bees there's so much joy you can just pick up from that and when, when i had a beehive um you know I, I remember i'd be working it and just hanging around the hive and realize they're happy hmm. these are happy bees i've never thought about it like that. and and i'm sharing their happiness with them sitting next to the hive and watching them you know, come in with these very big uh, pollen sacks or uh, pollen buckets and just being giddy and just sharing that, that, that simple thing. So I think that was another inspiration. But ultimately, the, the core idea of the game is it's a system for people coming into a monster territory and trying to understand how to communicate with the monsters. Because... And I, I'm intentionally leaving a blank template for people to design their own monsters. Okay. Um, but the ones I have designed are 
a slime, a fungus, and spiders. And so very non-human. So people have to think about, okay, how can I create my own web so the spiders can start tapping on that and doing that? Or with the fungus people, how can I control what scents I'm releasing? Because they're all about spores yeah. and picking up spore scents. Um, so it's the idea of pushing players to sort of think about how things that, like you say, aren't humanized or anthropomorphized or made to look non-threatening can be dealt with in a similar way to something that like you might look at and be like, oh, okay, that's clearly meant not to be something that I don't want to attack. It's like um, when you were talking, I was thinking about um, the dragon in the first Shrek movie. When the dragon yeah, is yeah. first is first shown as a character, it's this very threatening creature. And then as soon as um, I don't I don't remember what happens, but like Donkey gets tied up by it, and then the dragon tries to he kiss him. With it. But um, mm -hmm. it, the dragon actually very physically changes in appearance in that moment. And there's a whole question about whether or not that was like a consensual relationship from the beginning. But like, you know what I mean, right? It's it's the no no no. But <laughs> you, you, no, so 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 you're actually triggering. A very my my, my 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 thoughts on a a conundrum I've had with this game okay. because my initial thing I created a, a whole monster manual right. for all these different monsters, and after a while I start thinking I should add a, a, a romanceable option, and wow. so because I I I, <laughs> I realized you know I could take a complete left turn with this game and turn it into a monster dating sim. <laughs> And I'm still not 100% thinking that that's not a bad idea because I know there's that there's probably a market, a market for, for that. There is a market for it. Trust me. I, I, I just, it exists. It, it, it exists. It exists. And I, I, I think that it would be a departure from my initial vision, mm -hmm. but it might sell more. <laughs> uh, so, so, I mean, yeah, um, it's, it's a, it's a fabulous system, but you know, money. <laughs> yeah well and i i think also you know it's if people want a big hunky werewolf dating sim if that's how they want to use my game your car is on the lot cool. <laughs> have fun um and i i it's a it's a very different approach yeah. but I, I think it's also kind of fun um you know i i enjoy games where you can take the rule set and go in a completely different direction mm. because one key thing that i don't like about D&D is you start with this this description of a world and you're rolling it and like okay there's these castles and this city here and this forest and these creatures and whatnot and you're someone in this world, you can be a priest of the faith or a wandering scoundrel or a, you know, a student of the arcane arts. Yeah. Oh, and here's all the ways you can physically harm someone. Mm -hmm. Combat is you a know, huge part of the system initially. It's a war game. It was developed as a war game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and those roots are still very strong. Yeah, absolutely. It's one and... of the three, it's three or five. I can never remember what they have it listed as D and D Beyond. Several, several many others like combat, social interaction, and exploration. Or no, it's combat, role playing, mm -hmm. and exploration. That's what they are, right? So it's yeah. one of the main pillars of the game. Yeah, and I, I I love a combat heavy game as much as anyone else, but I find that as a social skills DM, combat can be very good for teamwork building. Mm -hmm. Uh, because the stakes are real. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you guys don't do good teamwork, you're going to get TPK. Yeah, it's, um, it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, which I've only done a TPK once, mm. and it was a Willy Wonka scenario, and once the kids died, they woke up in the cloning tubes. Um, Weird. Wait. Will, will, okay, oh, it's so much Hang fun. on. Willy Wonka scenario, like people were getting picked off periodically or like they mm -hmm. were in a candy fight. one by one i was killing the kids <laughs> so there there is this mad scientist wizard in my world uh -huh. and he made a theme park devoted to himself and as the kids went through it they were one by one you know and, and when, when the first kid like got you know pulled off into the void everyone's just like wait is, is he dead and i'm just like also this 
Yes. Ouch. <laughs> and then I flash them. So you wake up and you're in this this glass tube. It slides open and yeah. you don't really remember too much. You remember getting aboard the ride, trying one of those hats on, and then you don't really remember too much. That's awesome. So, I, I did something. Oh, yeah. I, I was a player in a game similar to that a very long time ago where the entire party got wiped and then we woke. It was like, I think we were playing second edition Dungeons and Dragons and we all got killed and we all ended up being in a level of hell and we all had to fight our way out of hell, which like Doom. was a really cool idea because like we're all dead anyway. So of course the game can continue. But like at that point you're like, well, if you die in hell, what happens next? And fortunately none of us found out, but like, yeah, it, I love that idea of like what happens after your character dies. That's always an area that I've wanted to explore more as a game master. But um, like you said, you've only had a TPK once I, I and it was haven't? intentional. <laughs> no, it, it, it was something where, where, where I told the kids, FY, if some of you die tonight, uh -huh. that's according to plan and don't freak Love out. It. It, trust me. Got it. And and, and the kids, I, I gave them heads up so they weren't going to be too worried. Sure. And, you know, they. it, it turns out that, yes, they were absolutely clones. And cool. they have they have a special rule not to eat cheese after midnight, because it turns out <laughs> there's like there's sort of a, a, a <laughs> yes, they actually did a, a sort of gremlins thing. So they they found out that they turn into these uh, Oompa Loompa characters. Uh, who, oh, that's you know, weird. I in the love theme it. Park. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very strange, but they, they they were all about like okay, so we because the the Oompa Loompa sort of characters had uh, like actually pretty good stats, hmm. so. They were always like, okay, so if we ever need a bunch of combat support, we, we have a wheel of cheese and we'll all take a bunch of bites and transform. <laughs> so it was also like kind of a lycanthropy, except they're these uh, Oompa Loompa people called Wonderful Wallaces. Cool. Yes. <laughs> Trademark. Um, yeah. That's awesome. So the whole idea behind like speaking with monsters, it's, it's almost like... Yeah creating sort of an opportunity for non-violence or just further developing into that whole um, social interaction part. Um, does combat ever happen or can it even happen in that game? There can be, but it's it's a skill. Combat is a skill. Okay, so just blanket um, like combat is just and like anything else, like sleight of hand or uh, persuasion or something like that? Yeah. And it's kind of meant to be more performative. Okay. So you showing off, you know, how much you can throw a spear or, ah. you know, being able to best someone in a wrestling match. So again, I, I wanted to create a game that has that focus on, you know, trying to think about social encounters, trying to think about the goal being let's not kill this monster, let's go be this monster's friend. Let's find out what they're looking for in a friend and if we can meet that. And it's meant to be a challenging game. Uh, you know, it's possible, it's expected that there will be a lot of bumps in the road, mm. but it's it's sort of this almost passion project of mine. Um, like whereas Caravan Endures is very much this, you know, whole system for building teamwork on a caravan. Mm -hmm. This one, was kind of inspired by uh, looking through, well, there, there was this, this uh, one Twitter meme going around where it was a picture of the monster manual and there was a piece of the tape over it that said boyfriend catalog. <laughs> and, 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 and so th I started looking for it like, okay, cool. Monster um, dating sim, like you were saying. <laughs> yeah, and so that, that was kind of like the initial take and then I decided like, okay, let's, let's, let's get serious. Uh, these monsters seem like they could be your friends and let's create a game where the focus instead of fighting the monsters stats wise is more towards trying to you know understand them but I kind of the more I think about it because you know there's mechanics for giving gifts there's mechanics for going on little expeditions together you can do little things for for them it actually does kind of function like a dating sim which may be why I'm trying to get away I, I from I can that. see the parallel, you know, you're trying to like make a friend versus create somebody who's like a significant other. The roads can cross at least. Yeah. 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 No, I, I get it. And you know, it's, it's kind of up to people who play it mm -hmm. to determine what they do with yeah. it. And 
yeah i it's still very much in in beta and i i finished a beta that the more i think about it i am terrified of playtesting because i have no idea if it's going to work or completely fall flat mm. uh but again unlike caravan endures which is very much i want to make this whole teamwork thing this is just sort of my passion project i want to see if it works yeah. and if it doesn't i'm not going to be too distraught mm -hmm. um i've got another game of the rafters that i'm kind of thinking about so if people wanted to learn more about either Caravan Indoors, The Rafters, or several of the other projects that are as yet unnamed um, that you have listed on your website, where could they go to do that? Uh, I just posted that on rollforkindness.com. Um, you know, there's, whenever I have like new public betas, I'll just make a post saying, hey, there's public betas. Yeah, you uh, you sent me a copy of Speaking with Monsters, I think probably a few months ago, and I, I was blown away. I thought it was really cool. I love the idea. So I, one thing I've had to be really sensitive about uh -huh. is the idea of there being kind of a racial component. Mm. Because whenever you're thinking about monstrous races, you know, there is there are problems with orcs. Yeah. And, oh, sorry. you My know, I intentionally barking like mad. Go ahead. Play Problems with orcs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, I didn't, I initially made, you know, a, a character idea for orcs and then I was like, nah, nah, nah. Um, and so I really didn't want to create a game that could reinforce stereotypes. And I, I don't think I'm in a place where I know enough to author a game that is that sensitive. Mm -hmm. However, I know enough about spiders. Right. I know enough about mushrooms. I know enough about uh, slime molds to, uh, well, at least fantasy slime molds. I actually don't know much about slime molds. <laughs> but, um, it's jello, but you know, it's the, sentient. Um, to just kind of come up with some cool ideas about, let's think about you know, something that is a monster and how can we not show aggression to it something mm -hmm. that cannot communicate with us traditionally um and how can we come to it on its level in the wild as this creature who is intelligent but very much its own thing right um and i yeah i, I i've also kept uh, a lot of bugs as pets and uh you know kind of a real uh significant moment was i had a praying mantis um, and mantises are fun to keep as pets. I didn't pets. know you could keep those um, as pets. Like, yeah, I mean, like, they, they, not legally, but like, you know, whatever. I, I didn't know they made pets or they, they were pets. They don't last long, unfortunately. Um, but my favorite one, uh, I had raised him from a nymph. So he was like this small. Mm -hmm. uh, at the end, he was, you know, about this tall. And he, you know, you always have to be very careful with anthropomorphizing anything. Sure, like you were um, saying with the whole game model but what i found was he was con he had learned he he loved to watch traffic uh, out my window and he loved watching moving things so I, I detected that he always wanted to be near a lot of movement so i kind of had him trained to drop down from the cage and climb up my arm and then i'd start playing uh team fortress 2 huh. and i would just feel him going up and then <laughs> tap 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 i'd go like this and he would crawl on top of my headphones and watch me play Team, Team Fortress 2. Wow. And we do this like all the time. And, you know, he probably was just like, here's moving things. They release small amounts of chemicals <laughs> in my brain that are interesting and keep me engaged. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think for his small size, that was something that was probably enjoyable to mm. him. It made for a wonderful experience. You know, he had probably didn't think of me as anything else but a, a large tree but i was a large tree that was able to give him some interesting feedback or some interesting sensory data so you know it, it it comes down to meeting a creature where they are and you know getting out of yourself a, as a human try to put yourself on somebody else's plane this uh, sort of experience things from someone else's point of view yeah and it's it's, it's you know i i absolutely adore insects and bugs and spiders and if you kill spider in my home i will throw hands <laughs> um like i i i Noted. i good I, to know <laughs> yeah yeah i was just like no i i i you know you can put them outside um i i i let the cats kill them because that's 
that's that's them doing them. Kind of what but do, yeah. if, if you're human and you know better, um, I will be very very. No, upset yeah, we are very because... pro spider in our house. We uh, in Texas, we every summer have like problems with flies that just show up. So like, spiders are great. I love spiders. We my <laughs> wife actually um, this past Christmas got a uh, a spider Christmas ornament. Uh, I think from oh. Russia and it's this beautiful ornate sort of, it's not real gold, but it's like gold plated thing founded on Etsy. It's really cool. So we are pro spider in this house. It is a big thing because they're, they're just useful. They're awesome. Yeah. And I remember reading it one, like, it's probably not real, but the, uh, something about like spiders, um, will get very upset if they have a mate and that mate is killed. They'll go after the creature that killed them. I don't know if it's true, but it's just another reason for me not to want to kill spiders. Cause I don't need a spider with a grudge. Yeah, no, it's, it's spiders are really interesting. Just having kept as many as I have, you do start, especially with jumping spiders. Um, you do start to notice that there's, they have different demeanors, like even ones that appear to be the same species, uh, you know, between them, because I used to keep them in little, little boxes. I'd noticed that some were very, you know, I don't want to say sociable, but they were always kind of hopping around and, you know, would be fine with being handled and were just curious about you. And others that are just, you know, in their burrow all the time, don't want anything to do with you. Um, and so I, and, and I've heard that from like other entomologists that study spiders is that, you know, they have their own kind of unique, they, they don't say personality, just like demeanors. Sure. Um, and so I, I think that's interesting and that's cool. And that just tells me have a appreciation for these amazing creatures and want to make a game about it. Yeah, them. I can totally see how that experience of like multiple spiders and learning about their you said not personalities, but like their actions and their idiosyncrasies could totally help you see that as a concept. That's, that's awesome. I love that concept because it just, it's just another really cool example of how role-playing games can be used to sort of fit the mold to sort of address a certain issue or handle a certain topic. I, that's, that's awesome. That's amazing. I never would have thought about that. Spiders being able to sort of present themselves in a way to create sort of a non-violent system for a role-playing game. That's, that's really cool. And there is an option to romance them. Damn it. That's <laughs> not just an extension of what I'm sure everybody wants out of the boyfriend manual or the girlfriend. Spider manual, dating. Or... Sim. <laughs> that's wow. Well, I don't know if there's more to say about anything. Yeah. There is a romanceful option with all the monsters. Uh, it, it's intended as a comedic aspect yeah, yeah. because if, you know, players are kind of trying various things and they, you know, bring a bunch of dead flies to a spider. Oh yeah. That's, that's absolutely the beginning of courtship. So the spider is going to have some very curious ideas about what, what, you, what you're up to. Uh, and communicate that, um, but it, it, it's meant as a comedic thing. Sure, yeah. But my, my 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 concern, and maybe not concern, but curiosity, mm -hmm. is that how far will people go with the 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 horny bard problem? Yeah, the sort of sexualized nature of how certain games can progress. Yeah. It's the idea of, but I mean, yeah, I imagine at least for me talking about um, the groups that I run, that whole idea of is sex an option, is romance an option in a game yeah. is something that I try to address before gameplay even starts. Like the groups mm -hmm. that I run for the university that I work at, that's, that's like an explicit thing that I bring up at the beginning. It's like, I will not allow you to romance an NPC or create a romantic relationship between player characters just because like that could put me in a potentially very uncomfortable situation with a player just because like that's that's not something i don't need to be that's not something anybody needs to be dealing with on a professional basis but um i'm i'm of two minds okay um you know in in my primary group yeah i just keep romance to a bare minimum mm -hmm. just because i don't want uh you know a, the kids aren't really interested in it. It's kind of like um, an ethical conflict, right? I mean, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like yeah, a council yeah. thing. Because, yes, I I think I see where you're going. It's the idea that, like, you can use a role-playing game as a method to sort of, like, unpack that idea. But also, like, is this the right time and place for that? And yeah. for, for what I'm doing with the university, it's, it's not really the case. But, like, 
a different group, a different group of people, a different context. Yeah. The, the girls group. Absolutely. Okay. Romanced. Okay. Uh, and that, that was, that, that was really cool to see. Cause there was this girl who, um, you know, it was a bunch of teen girls and there was this one girl who had a lot of social anxiety, but she was also kind of boy crazy. And so she ended up setting up a date with one of the town guards and he, it, it turned into like, they were actually trying to, uh, stop the goblins from attacking. Like it started out as a date and then there was a goblin attack on the city mm -hmm. and, um, he kept on rolling ones. So she dumped him. Aww very publicly Aww. and it was and and all the other girls kind of helped they were cheering her oh, and <laughs> so it, it turned into this whole soap opera thing where he was trying to get her back and just failing and 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 this girl who's very shy love love um social guys just saying no i'm just too good for you nice and like all the other <laughs> girls just backing her up and so Done right, <laughs> romance was incredibly okay. In fairness, that was an absolutely failed romance. Yeah, but I, I get uh, your point. It's a topic that can sort of be very useful, and yeah, I, I stand corrected. Yes, that is fabulous. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that was a fun campaign. That's, that's um, awesome. Yeah, I, I always love the. Um, yeah, you know, I've only done one. Technically, I've done two uh, girls' groups, but one I wasn't really involved with DMing as much. But the the, the one girls' group versus the boys-dominated group, the boys, uh, they just want powerful magical items. And yeah. powerful things that tools, will give them more powerful weapons. Powerful yeah. tools, they want to be more powerful. Sure. Um, girls, they... I have never had to make up so many NPCs uh, uh, upon the fly. Hmm. Because when they were setting up that first date, they toured every single restaurant in town. Yeah, I could see how that would require a lot of NPCs and on-the-fly name generation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, meanwhile, these goblins are mounting an attack, and they're like, no, no, this is important. <laughs> What's the signature this like year? What's your... <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. I always enjoy things like that because like if my players are like pushing me to like describe something more about a world, it's always just like, okay, well, if this is something you really care about, I'll put effort into it because like it's just, it, it gives you an opportunity to sort of flex a creative muscle that you may not have like even thought about before then. It also means that you're succeeding. Yes. So long as it's, it's, it's saying the, the, the goals. So I was talking with this one DM who was lamenting that one of his social skills groups spent like three months in the starter forest. And I was like, okay, what were they doing in the starter forest? They're like, oh, they're running around causing chaos. You know, just, just goofing off. I'm like, and this is a social skills group. I'm like, yeah. Then what's the problem? Mission accomplished. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I guess so. But I want them to, to experience the story. It's like, that's your story. Yeah. What, what's what's you your know, player's story? What story are they trying to unlock? And uh, so it's sort of this, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. And uh, I, I think that one of the core differences between an applied DM and uh, a normal DM is a normal DM failing to tell the story outside of Starter Forest would consider that a failure. Whereas an applied DM doesn't care. You know, are, are the kids hitting their goals? Yeah, then it's a wild success. Uh, it It is no longer about you telling your story, but you hitting your goals. You're meeting the players where they're at. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's important to still care about the story and be invested in the story. And I think, you know, personally with my groups, acting like you care about the story because that provides some incentive for the kids to either engage with it or completely try to derail it. Absolutely. Both are good so long as they're working as a group. Right, as long as they're sort of using the skills that you're trying to foster in that particular environment. Yeah, so so I, I always act so sad when they one-shot the, the big bad on the, their third encounter. Mm. But I'm just like, yes, that was awesome <laughs> teamwork. You did it. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Peter, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Um, this is this has been fun. It's it's like you said, oh, I yeah. haven't really had a chance to talk 
with somebody about you know therapeutic role-playing games um this is this is like the first time i've gotten a chance to like really go off on it for any long period of time so this is fun um before we go um i uh i usually sort of end my episodes with like sort of like positive things or affirmations or just sort of ideas that can might be helpful to people at any time so i wanted to offer you the chance to do you feel like there's anything that you might want to share with people that might be dealing with something tough right now yeah 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 um it's okay if you need space you don't need to talk about it don't let anyone tell you you need to talk about it you know it's if talking about it will help then talk about it but if someone is pressuring you to do something that they think will help you but is forcing vulnerability they might be more interested in their own sense of helping you rather than allowing you to heal on your own terms so I, I think put a bit more clearly is healing is hard and when you need help, seek it out, but be aware that healing is your path. And if someone is pushing you to heal in a way that is prying your pain away from you in a way that is not healing, and forcing some vulnerability. It's okay to say, I need space. I need to process this on my own time. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thanks so much for being here. Um, Thank you. Thanks for watching. Take care, be kind, and have fun adventuring. Mm -hmm.